0: I'm sorry to break it to you, but the answer to the question, how do I motivate employees, is you don't. We're talking about what to do instead and why you should stop saying, I'm just direct, on this week's episode of Boss Better Now.
1: You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and chronic optimist, Joe Mall.
0: Hello, boss heroes. Welcome back to the show that aspires to be the food for your soul, your boss's soul. If you're joining us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Podcasts, on Stitcher or on Audible, or you're watching us on YouTube, we are so glad that you're here. We're also excited to welcome Pandora and iHeartRadio to the list of platforms now carrying our show. Please welcome my co-host, professional coach, Alyssa Mullett.
1: Hey, uh, I didn't know that about Pandora and iHeartRadio. That's cool.
0: We're trying American- to be everywhere, yes.
1: Awesome, awesome. So you, you're you still in the chronicness of optimism, even at this stage in the pandemic? I mean, we're like at the one-year mark. We're, we're over that now. So you still are able to be a chronic optimist, Joe?
0: <laughs> well... So I feel like the answer is yes, in part because now is the most optimistic time, right? Vaccine distribution has ramped way up, and uh, it just feels like we have crested the hill. And uh, that doesn't mean we can be complacent. Uh, Ironically, I I will uh, share with our listeners that I'm recording this in quarantine, uh, my third quarantine of the pandemic after an exposure. Um, I stayed away from my boxing gym for four months between uh, November and March because the numbers here in Western Pennsylvania were were dangerously high, and I waited until the caseload was way down. And I went back last week, and I took a boxing class on Friday morning and found out that my instructor Uh, came down with symptoms on Saturday, tested positive two days ago. uh, And I have been sleeping on an air mattress in my office for a few days while awaiting the window of exposure to pass. I got a COVID test this morning uh, that I hope will come back negative because now it's been uh, like six days since exposure. Uh, But yes, I am optimistic. Unfortunately, I should say this, I am asymptomatic. I'm fine. Uh, but Thank yes, goodness.
1: yes, yes, absolutely. Even while I...
0: sleeping on an air mattress, I am still <laughs> optimistic.
1: Because I I want to say all the curse words right now, like <laughs> <laughs> bleepity, bleep, 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 bleep. That's how I feel. Um, and Because to me, it feels like, okay, yeah, we crested that hill. And now there's like the finish line or something that resembles something like a finish line, right? And it feels like it just keeps moving away from me. Mm. And I'm like, I'm coming. Where are you going? Coming. I'm coming. Yeah. Don't move. Don't move anymore.
0: Or the people in the race are are celebrating before they cross the finish line. Right. It feels like <laughs> on the whole our society is the football player who's running untouched for a touchdown. <laughs> and at the five yard line they start dancing. Yes. But then somebody comes from behind and tackles them and it's it's all bad from there. And
1: that's where I'm like screaming at them. I'm like, no, you're yes. ruining it for the rest of us.
0: Uh, so this, this is our, um, with between our sports analogies and <laughs> Alyssa's simmering rage, we want to remind America, please, to continue social distancing, wearing your masks and washing your hands. Um, we are not through this yet, as evidenced by the microwavable meals I've been eating at my office for three oh. days. Oh, goodness. But let's turn the page from that and and talk about... Uh, the, the topic that we have teed up for our first segment of the show today, which is uh, the myths of motivation and, and, mm. and understanding where motivation for employees come from. And this is something that um, I've been studying for years and have been worked, working into the training that I've done with leaders for years, and, and it's born out of a question that I got for years from leaders at all levels, whether they were CEOs and, and other C-suite members all the way down to frontline team leaders. Uh, and that question is this, how do I motivate people? How do I get people that work for me to care and try and give their all and to care as much about I do as what we're doing here? Mm. Uh, at, at times when apathy creeps in or at times when people are low or spent, how do I motivate people? And so a number of years ago, I decided to do A deeper dive. And I did a lot of uh I didn't have an adequate answer to the question, even doing a lot of work around employee engagement and leadership. And so I did a deeper dive into some of the psychology of motivation. Hmm. And what you find out is that the answer to the question, how do I motivate people, is you don't. You can't, and so I want to advise all the boss heroes out there today to just stop trying. It's it's not going to get you anywhere, and that may feel like sweet relief washing over you right now. And <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it feels like, hey, I've been doing that for years, Joe, and now you're telling me that I don't have to, and and it sounds like I'm off the hook, and I want to high five somebody right now. Yes, but it sounds like there's a catch, doesn't doesn't it, Alyssa?
1: There has to be because nothing is ever that easy.
0: So here's, here's the myth of motivation, and, and maybe the way to say this is this is the, the truth of motivation in response to the myth of motivation. Mm. Uh, motivation isn't something you do to someone. You cannot reach inside someone and flip a switch and ignite drive or energy to perform because things got busy on a Tuesday, mm. right? It doesn't work that way. We know that. When you take a look at the psychology of motivation and what leads people to self-directed, self-motivated action... That, that requires effort and resilience, what you find out is that motivation is something that people experience under certain conditions. Ooh, and it's okay. those conditions that I, that I wrote about in my first book, Cure for the Common Leader, and that I want to talk a little bit about today. Uh, let me ask you this question, though, Alyssa. When you were pulling a traditional nine-to-five in the workplace... What motivated you the most at work? And and maybe we can swap out that word motivated with, with energized. When did you feel the most energized or most alive at work? Mm.
1: I think if I can na- apply my now knowledge to my prior self, what I would pinpoint as my touchstone for energy, motivation, whatever the term we're going to use is, is when I was in service to other people, I felt like that's my jam. That's what I should be doing. Yep. Just that will keep me going. It ultimately was not going to be the next, you know, title, the next, you know, Mm -hmm. more employees, whatever it might be, even though those were nice and more money was lovely. Mm -hmm. But at the core of it, I I truly believe that I was most motivated when I was doing what I now believe is my purpose, which is serving
0: others. So we could make an argument that the job on the whole was in service to others, right? The nature of the work all the time, but you probably didn't feel inspired all the time. No, absolutely. And so I, I would wonder if the true answer is, I'm going to tweak your language a little bit, if you'll give me permission okay. to put words in your mouth. Um, free. The the days when you felt most energized were probably not just the days when you were in service to others, because again, you could make the argument that that was every day, but it was probably on the days when you had evidence that you were in service to others. Mm. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, that feels more tangible. Yeah.
0: What was some of the evidence that you got that you were in service to others?
1: I will, I know that, you know, verbal feedback um, still was and is important to me um, to hear it from people like, oh, that made all the difference. You oh, I hadn't really thought of that before. Thank you so much. Or so hearing it from mm-hmm. other people that what I had, what they needed in some form or capacity.
0: Absolutely. So we know that that's one of the conditions that employees, no matter what job they're in, if you want people to experience the conditions that lead them to give it all they've got, they need to believe that their work matters, that their work makes some kind of difference. And there's a lot of jobs out there that we might describe as um, mundane, or people might describe some of what they do as grunt work. But if we can connect the dots between even uh, the most basic or mundane tasks of a job and why that work matters, the difference it makes in the lives of others, the ways in which it it matters and that person matters, we start to supercharge motivation. So that's one of the conditions that we know is important. Um, a couple other conditions, and I'd be interested which other things on this list, Alyssa, you found yourself maybe not paying enough attention to as a leader. Mm-hmm. So some of the other conditions on the list is that we know people need opportunities to learn and grow and progress in their role. And now sometimes that could be the traditional career path, promotion, raise, or sometimes it's just the chance to develop and learn new things. But Mm -hmm. we know that that is a part of what energizes people at work and motivates them. Uh, Another condition at the workplace is the opportunity to form Sophisticated relationships, meaningful relationships with people around them, with my boss, with my team, Uh, and obviously different people have different levels of social comfort, but feeling like you belong, feeling connected, feeling embraced and included in your workplace is a a critical condition for people to thrive. Uh, A couple others, people need the uh, materials, information, and equipment to do their jobs, right? You could have great people that you're working with, but if your computer can't keep up with the reports that you have to run every day, that is a demotivating experience. If you don't have the information you need to do your job, i.e., hey, I was told to design this whole new customer outreach initiative, but nobody told me that we're getting a new marketing person next month and they're going to change everything. Hmm. You know that, that could be a demotivating experience. Uh, a couple others real quick, and then I'm going to turn this over to you because I'm interested in where you feel like a lot of people have gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that pay and benefits matter. People need to perceive that their pay and benefits are fair and adequate. And we also know that people need to have their ideas and opinions and challenges solicited and considered. Mm-hmm. So among the, the handful of things that I just rattled off, where do you think you were falling short as a leader and and where do you think other leaders might fall short too?
1: So I feel like <clears throat> I'm in a better position to maybe talk about what I experienced mm-hmm. uh, as a leader from leadership, Got it. and then maybe I can like articulate how that translated to how I acted and what I did. For my team, um, yeah. because I feel like maybe then I overcompensated in some other areas based upon what I felt I was lacking okay. from my leadership.
0: If so, that makes on, from sense. that list, what were the yeah. things then that that maybe you weren't getting that were important to you?
1: So that relationship bit, right? That that key, the whole key thing to me is like (laughs) that relationship, that sense of belonging, um, that true sense of someone cared about me in a real way that wasn't for their own personal gain.
0: Mm.
1: And I I the thing that came up for me as you're you're listing these things was so are all of these elements equal? Like, do we need to have equal amounts of these needs, these conditions being met in order to create or sustain that motivation? Or is it possible that, for instance, I experienced a great opportunity to to learn and grow? That's, I mean, that's one of the ways that I got into coaching was Mm -hmm. I was able to go to school and get additional training and learn. And all of that was supported through my role, but I lacked that big relationship piece. And so it obviously didn't end up with me still being in that, in that situation. Um, And a large part of it was because I was missing that relationship piece.
0: So I'm going to, speak to that whole, uh, are all conditions created equal question that you just raised. But before I get there, I want to make sure we capture the second half of what you alluded to a minute ago, which was because you weren't getting certain things from your environment, from your boss, you, I think you used the word overcompensated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so
0: how did that show itself when you weren't getting what you needed? How did that show itself and how you then led your team?
1: So I think I I wouldn't ever describe myself maybe maybe my prior teammates would describe me at some level as a micromanager but I f- I feel like in my attempts to buffer or to filter for my teams um that whole relationship bit um I overstepped I um, tried to be more than what was most conducive for their growth and their experience of, of me as a leader.
0: Were you aware at the time that you were overcompensating or that you were um, overstepping? Or is it only something that you've picked up on now? With the gift of time and space,
1: <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, what is that the saying? You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think that's that's a real. Oh. Um, I think maybe I didn't consciously know it, but my body sure as heck did. Mm. Um, and, and so, my value system. And so, whenever I I was able to then articulate each of those things, I'm like, oh, holy crap. As I've gone on through life and and gained these other bits of knowledge um, about me and who I am and how I operate, now I can look back and say, oh, I was experiencing this.
0: Okay. So so with the gift of hindsight then, if you could go back in time, what behaviors with your staff would you change?
1: I think I would be less hard on myself and thus open the opportunities for them and their growth a lot more, be more receptive to their ideas and being willing to go to bat for people. no matter the cost to my own ego, title, relationship with the higher ups. Wow! I would always have their back. Yeah. Because that's now who I know I am and I will not ever let another workplace try to steal that.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's uh, incredibly insightful. And I think that would be a, a hard thing to admit Uh, For anyone. Uh, And so I I greatly appreciate you shining a light on that. It it reminds me of an analogy that I've I've made more than once that there are days when bosses need to be sports agents. Mm. When 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 you think of you picture the kind of stereotypical, like Hollywood agent or sports agent in your mind.
1: Jerry Maguire
0: was? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Okay. okay, all
0: right. <laughs> you know, and if you watch the first part of that movie, okay, well, let's take Jerry Maguire for a minute. Uh, okay. The whole first 15 minutes of that movie are, show us him living the kind of cliched stereotype of the sports yeah. agent where he's looking at people and being like, I love you, baby. I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. I'm going I'm to get you <laughs> yes. everything, right? You know, I, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to eat until I get you what I want for you. <laughs> but there are times when bosses need to be sports agents, where mm-hmm. they need to be the strongest, most vocal mm-hmm. Uh, most noticeable advocates for their people, for their professional development, for their pay and benefits, for the resources that they need, all of those conditions that I just listed are things that my boss needs to advocate for, for me, in my organization. In most places, they don't just organically happen. Those things come from my boss making them happen for me and advocating for them Two people that I don't always see or interact with. And so so your your confession there reminded me of of the sports agent analogy that that this is how bosses need to show up sometimes.
1: I, I think that there's a theme going on. You know, we were talking about racing and all these other sports metaphors, and now we're going into the whole sports agent. So I think that there's both literally and figuratively a wealth of perspectives that our boss heroes out there can take and put forth.
0: And here's the other crazy thing. And, uh, you know, Alyssa, if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, Alyssa's is going to hold her hand up and swear that I did not tell her this ahead of time.
1: Okay. Yeah. But I last don't know what night, I swear to, but we didn't talk. So
0: last night, while, while crashing out here in my office, I flipped on the TV in our little kitchenette and on the screen appeared the movie Jerry Maguire. And no so the, freaking fact that you, way. Yeah, the fact that you just brought that up, some people would call it serendipitous. I might say it's a little creepy. that <laughs> <laughs> of, of, And I've been thinking about the sports agent analogy for a while. So it, it, it didn't pop into my head this morning after watching that movie last night. I was actually writing about this two weeks ago in in prepping some some materials for a future project. And so when that movie came on last night, I thought, oh, this that's kind of funny. I've been thinking about the whole sports agent thing. And then- unprompted you brought up the movie and so that is that's pretty wild
1: i'm gonna go with crazy and creepy and very weird <laughs> <But cool.
0: laughs> Well, and bef- before we move off this though let me keep my promise to those who are listening which was to speak to your question about whether all conditions
1: oh yes yes, yes. are created for-
0: equal yeah. um this is a question I get a lot when I do uh, our sort of foundational boss better uh, leadership development workshops with clients when we, sh- when we go through these list of conditions that bosses need to create. Uh, a couple years ago, I had the chief medical officer of a, a multi-site practice group raise his hand in the room and say, um, Joe, are those listed in order on the screen or do they all carry equal weight? Very much the same question you asked. And I had to tell him, and I'll tell our listeners, that the bad news is No. They are not all created equal. The truth is that what's important from one person to the next is Mm. different right? The 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 things that were important to you d- that you wanted to get from your supervisor are going to be different than the things that the person next to you wants. There, there may be a, a, a person on your team who really needs to feel that connectedness to the team and wants those sophisticated relationships, whereas you, what was most important to you is that professional growth and development and climbing that career ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, but wait, it gets worse. Not <laughs> only is it <laughs> Different from person to person. You said you wasn't... were a
1: chronic optimist, Joe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Touche. the <laughs> The thing is that what is important to us changes over the course of our lives. So when I think about where I was at 23, you know, what was important to me at that time was trying to grow compensation and to climb the ladder and 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 make a little bit more money because I was I was not making any. Um, and now at 44 you know what's important to me now is different and and i would have wanted a different kind of relationship with my supervisor and a little bit more autonomy and creativity at work so the list of conditions is is pretty set when you look at all the research around the psychology of motivation but in and amongst the list of important things those things differ in importance to different people and what's important to them will change over the course of their lives so if anybody ever tells you that leadership is easy or simple they're lying it's complex
1: Amen.
0: And that brings us to our camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why every week, we give you a question you can use at meetings or at huddles or just in conversation to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. And our camaraderie question of the week, Alyssa, is this. Tell us about your first job.
1: Oh, goodness. Okay, so are we talking, like, legit, I got a work permit, or are we talking about before that? Like
0: <laughs> uh, you were nine have, and working under the table somewhere?
1: <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't nine, but I I distinctly remember, like, I was probably maybe 12, 13 tops, and I was responsible for watching, you know, three kids, nine and under, mm-hmm. All summer long, like five days a week. Um, So that would be one of my babysitting was for sure one of my first jobs. Additionally, um, though, whenever I got my work permit, when I was, you know, legit, I think it was like 14 or whatever, um, I started scrubbing toilets. I was a janitor. Wow. Okay. Um, And then whenever I was old enough to drive, actually, probably before that. But I got my first, quote, real job, which was as a waitress. And it was this very small, you know, restaurant uh, in Western Pennsylvania. Actually, it's in. Maryland, right on the border. Um, <laughs> but in any case, uh, I had this nice little smock because it it was a conservative <laughs> Mennonite restaurant. Uh, okay. It's called The Castleman, if anyone's, it's, it's still out there and running strong. And I still uh, know a bunch of people that work there. So, you know, if you're ever in this part of the country, feel free to stop by The <laughs> Castleman for some, some good grub. But I wore this like maroon smock over a white shirt that I was like, We always had, they were skirt smocks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and they were always past our knees. Uh, It was, it was a beautiful first job because (laughs) you got all of the aspects of service, you know, Mm -hmm. as a waitress, you got to be on, um, but in this nice little um, bubble of comfort, because Mm -hmm. it was a small town. Small
0: community. Yeah. Everybody knows each other going to the restaurant.
1: Yeah, Exactly. What okay. about you? I, 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 I can't imagine what your first job, maybe lawn care. Is right?
0: no. <laughs> well, I appreciate that you differentiate between like, what did you do as a young kid to make a couple bucks versus right. when you went and filled out an application somewhere and started paying taxes on what you made. So uh, growing up, my dad built houses. And so I spent some weekends and summers and things like that doing doing labor, right? Whether it okay. was painting or hauling junk out of old houses that were being rehabbed. And I uh, actually did that off and on through high school and into college with, uh, with him and, and in the summers and whatnot. So I, I tell people that when it comes to being handy around the house, I know just enough to be dangerous. But my first real job was at Pizza Hut. And Ooh. I answered the phone and took the orders. And I still remember to this day, thank you for calling the library Pizza Hut, at home of the Bigfoot Big Six Pizza. Is this for pickup or delivery? <laughs> because that was the promotion that they were running whenever I got hired, right? And you, I just did that for hours. Ring, ring, ring. Hello, hello. And so I would input the orders in the computer, and when they would come into the delivery room, I would set them on the shelves and tag them with the receipts, and the drivers would take them out. And uh, I worked at that restaurant for a couple of years and eventually moved through most of the jobs there. And so I was cooking at one point, and then I spent over a year waiting tables. And so we have hmm. that in common. And I actually... I would argue there are two jobs everybody in should have to work at some point in their lives. One of them is waiting tables and the other is retail at Christmas. Oh. Uh, I worked in a, a shopping mall uh during Christmas time. And uh when whether you work as a, a, a server or you work retail at Christmas, what you find is that most people are either really great or really not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. You know my my simmering rage of humanity right now is <laughs> absolutely going to affirm that yes
0: yes and so that that was my first job was was working at the the Pizza Hut and I of course ate Pizza Hut every day for a really long time and then after I left there there was a period of years where I could not eat Pizza uh, Hut just it was I was overexposed um, <laughs> I've swung back the other way though I, I don't mind a good stuffed crust pizza every once in a while. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I love it. Pizza
0: Hut. Yay. And that's the camaraderie question of the week. Hey, Boss Heroes. More than once you've heard me say commitment comes from better bosses. But where do better bosses come from? Answer, the Joe Mullen Associates Boss Better Leadership Academy. The managers on your team are going to develop the self-awareness, knowledge, skills, and relationships critical to success in a one-day training. If you want them to motivate teams, maximize effort, and create the conditions for your employees to thrive, they need ongoing education. When your organization subscribes to our Boss Better Leadership Academy, all your leaders get to join me for a monthly learning event. These live coaching clinics, micro-trainings, and dynamic virtual summits take just a few minutes each month, and the year-round access to our digital vault gives you all the recordings for on-demand use, new manager onboarding, and more. Oh, and everything we do is evidence-based and highly entertaining, if I do say so myself. Best of all, for most organizations, you can get a year of this continuous leadership development training for less than the cost of bringing me on-site for a one-hour keynote. If you want managers to lead well, they need to work on it year round. It's like going to the gym. If you go once, you'll get a good workout, but no long-term results. If you keep going though, you get healthier and healthier over time. The same is true for bosses. They need continuous learning and mentorship. So what are you waiting for? Let's give your leaders the skills, tools, and knowledge they need to supercharge commitment and boss better. For more information, including pricing, Visit joe forward slash academy. Alright, folks, we would love to hear from you. As we always say, this is not our show, it's your show. What do you think is the most important thing bosses do to engineer motivation? What do you want us hear us talk more about when it comes to creating those conditions to motivate employees and the role that bosses play in doing just that. You can email the show at bossbetternow at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the podcast Facebook page, or if you're streaming this episode online, just drop a comment in the box below. And that brings us to our final segment today, Alyssa, a segment we do every once in a while called Stop It.
1: So ominous. Oh, my.
0: It's because we feel strongly about the things that we want people to stop doing. And today, what I want to ask bosses to stop doing is saying, I'm just direct. So (laughs) this is a pattern. Having traveled the country and worked with leaders of all stripes in a variety of environments, when, when, you have this, when you start to have the same conversations over and over again, you start to notice. And one of the things that I've noticed is over and over again, I will be pulled aside by a leader who will say, you know, sometimes people don't seem to be able to like get me. Or sometimes uh, people feel like I'm too harsh and I'm just direct. And Total cop out. Well, it's, and it's an interesting conversation, right? Because you have people <laughs> who are acknowledging that maybe their style isn't working for them and then immediately moving into a defense of it, right? Um, yep. I, I am just direct. When I hear that phrase... I often have encountered someone who hasn't yet done the work to think about how they can be honest in a way that preserves other people's dignity. Yep. And, and, you know, honesty without finesse is just like my eight year old son. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Who just, that's stupid. No filter. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, what about you? Have you encountered the the direct professional who defends their style by simply saying, I'm just direct?
1: Absolutely. And I I well, the phrase that comes to my mind is, you know how um you ask what people's like managerial or leadership style is? Yes. And when you're asking like I get this a lot whenever you're, like, in a panel of people, right? And they say, one of them says, well, you always know where you stand. (laughs) That is total code speak for. Yes, it is. They're going to cut you down with their words every single time they get an opportunity. And they're going to be direct. And that's Mm -hmm. how it's just going to be. Because they're going to get the pass because, quote, I'm direct. No, no. Just like you say, I call a total cop out on them not actually doing the work.
0: And the there's work all these other. Required. Yes. And there's all these other phrases that live in and around that defense. People will say things like, well, I just call it like it is. Or I call a <laughs> spade a spade. Or, you know what? I don't have time for all that touchy, feely, empathetic nonsense. Right. Yep. It's, it's this whole kind of. Um, the the work we do here is just too important, and if you don't have a thick enough skin, well, then yep. by golly, you know the, that you're the problem, not me. Yep. So, what is some of the work? Le- so, leaders, it, it it is completely okay if you are the kind of boss who, when you open your mouth, what tumbles out is total honesty. What's not okay is when, if you notice that that total honesty is negatively impacting other people's character or dignity or or uh, self-esteem, that's, that's not okay. Uh, the, yeah. the, the most successful bosses are those who are emotionally intelligent and who think about the packaging. So what is some of the work that bosses need to do to translate what might be callous honesty into more thoughtful dialogue?
1: Dude, more creepiness. I literally, before you spoke again, wrote down emotional intelligence. (laughs) And then you came out with the words and I was like, what is going on? (laughs) The other thing that I wrote down of what the work means is for me, what I coach leaders with is this values-based perspective. So being able to, articulate and understand your own value system and how you show up in the workplace and how your, that acts as a lens to how other people experience you and you experience other people. So that is part of doing the work to me, but for sure emotional intelligence. So if, if you are have suffered (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is the plight of i i just am direct and and you're listening to this podcast this is your message stop what you're doing after this podcast your next thing is to start looking up emotional intelligence values-based leadership get yourself some tools so you can do the work because you're better than that
0: and, and i love that you that you Brought up this idea of how do other people experience it? Because when we talk about directness, it, we do, we get into this whole debate about intent versus impact. You know, right. you may defend yourself as a boss and say, Well, I'm just direct. But what other people experience is my boss is condescending or my boss is uh, annoyed with me or he or she is mean. My boss is mean. And if we go back to the conversation we had at the top of the show and we identify the conditions that people need to experience in the workplace to be at their best every day, believing that my boss cares about me as a person, that that he or she treats me with dignity and respect, these are all foundational, like bottom of the, the human development pyramid stuff that we need to experience in any environment in order to thrive in that environment. And so your intent might be to tell the truth and be honest, but The impact is that your style is experienced as abrasive, and it's creating obstacles for you to develop the authentic relationships and have the kind of influence that you probably want to have as a leader. And so we got to think about the packaging. One of the uh, most common sets of questions that leaders are often asked to consider in in their communication uh, is the set of questions, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And most folks who will say, I'm just direct, will say, yeah, it's true. And yeah, it's necessary. And we got to pause on the second question. And and maybe that's the the filter is, okay, here's what I want to say. Is it kind? Am I saying this in such a way where I'm not automatically going to have them be insulted or trigger their defensiveness? And if I can say this in such a way where I'm not triggering defensiveness or insulting them, guess what? There's a much greater likelihood that I'm going to be heard, and then I'm going to affect change, and then I'm going to have influence.
1: What a beautiful red thread that circled back around in this episode. So many good
0: gems. And so that's why when it comes to saying, I'm just direct, stop it. All right, folks, if you liked what you heard today, please tell everybody on the internet. Post on your social media accounts how much you are enjoying our show, and who knows? Maybe you end up helping a fellow boss hero find their way to our program to get the very support and encouragement they need at the moment they need it. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
1: This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.